Hi, you're listening to Life in the Brand Lane with the brand guys, Finn and Ron. This is an irreverent look at rock music in brands and brands in rock music. This is a podcast produced by Fresh. Fresh brings you smart thinking for your business problems. Hi there and welcome to another episode of Life in the Brand Lane with the brand guys. I'm Finn and co-host Ron. Ron, how are you doing? I'm hanging in there. I'm literally hanging. I'm hanging on the bed in anticipation of this exciting and, you know, almost notoriousness. Good. Great to hear from you. Great to see you. And this is our inaugural guest session. Uh, And we are pleased to have with us in the virtual studio, Archie Payton. Archie, how are you doing? I'm well. Thank you guys for having me on. Good. Now, you're obviously another brand guy, brand guru. Tell us um, what is it you do? Tell us a little bit about what you do and who you are. Um... So I work with predominantly sports organizations um, and has been sort of across the, sort of the globe over the last 20, 30 years. And we work with them from a strategic perspective, sometimes from an operational perspective, very much about um, driving through a, a clear brand proposition, bringing some sort of stakeholder value, whether that's from a participation perspective for organizations or or from a commercial perspective, from a professional organization, or, or sometimes just more sort of better efficiencies as well. That's cool. That sounds like we're going to be able to have a pretty good conversation because we really like that the blue sky thinking stuff, the very strategic, you know, getting out there almost into philosophical sort of territory. But it sounds like you're quite happy lifting the hood as well a wee bit and getting right down in amongst it. I, I think sometimes it's... Um, Sometimes it's, it's well, not relatively easy, but, you know, with a bit of hard work and with the, the sort of right team to, to be able to do the sort of strategic thinking, you know, it's easy to complicate it, but to put the time in to get a real clear, simple strategy is one thing. Sometimes organizations struggle then operationalizing that, you know, how do we actually decide, well, this is our, this is our corporate strategy. This is what it means across the business. How do we then start to implement those changes and bring the rest of the organization with you? So, yeah, so sometimes you just have to roll up the sleeves and, um, and really, I suppose, it's bring people with you. And there's a, there's a very um, old African proverb which says, you know, if you want to go fast, go by yourself. But if you want to go far, you know, go together. And that, that's very much where you need to be with these organizations. That's cool. And it's great bringing someone like you in to, to help do that now. Um, Ron, we're a bit of a double act and we thought it would be fun to pull in um, some guests here. So, so a bit of fun now that the kind of premise of this, the guest slot is mm-hmm. um, to bring three tracks to the show, which represent the brand, the essence of the brand. And the thing is, Archie, not everyone can actually do that. You know, that's quite a challenge mm-hmm. for people. Um, and what, what's the important thing to think about, do you think, here, Ron? Well, I, I was going to 
rewind a wee bit. I mean, Arch is bringing to the table some, some really important stuff, but he mentioned working with a lot of sports brands. And I was going to ask Archie just before we set up the, the kind of projective idea with the music that, to my mind, uh, people think and feel, and importantly, the emotional connect towards branded sporting events, goods, personalities, is different to how we think and feel to say an automobile or a radio station or something like that. And if that sort of difference, if that difference is, is real, I'd like Archie to comment on that. And then if it is real, how, how does that factor in when you're sort of advising, as you say? I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting area. And I mean, it's one I've spent quite a lot of time looking at. And yeah. that's, you know, it's the emotive connection that people have yeah. to sports. And I suppose it's akin to also maybe you know, music where there's an experiential part where people can relate, um, you know, having experiences with friends or family, um, highs and lows. So those sort of um, collective memories that you, you build, um, sport provides that experience. It, it, it also is a little bit more. And I think your know, emotive connection is what I would, would term as well. And it's those sort of emotive connections that initially start off in that sort of um, the enjoyment, the hedonistic side of things. Yeah. You know, but as people invest more time um, and invest more of themselves into it becomes central, you know, so you have the centrality of, of the, the, the sports team, predominantly teams rather than, than events, um, and more so the national teams, because that brings sort of, um, sort of geographical elements with regards to national pride. Yeah. But if we're looking at teams, it then becomes central, and then it, it actually extends further, so it becomes almost a mirror, a self-projection, Right. So, you know, how well your team is doing and how your team is perceived is almost a contributing factor to your own self-esteem and how you de yeah. see yourself in society. So right, it's interesting how we've seen brands evolve because I would have said, you know, sport, music, potentially sort of the, certainly the entertainment side of things, film. Yeah. But, you know, it's now you see people with technologies coming through and the brands of technology and how a lot more experience are digital, you know, and people are starting to engage that way. Um, but I, I do think, you know, sport brings something special. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to touch on this with some of the tracks. And the tracks I've chosen are not necessarily sort of representative of the brand in the sense that you would want it perceived by a consumer in the marketplace. But what they are are a a prompt for discussion around certain yeah. elements of the brand, how it pertains to, to me and my experiences of working with them. Yeah. So, I mean, look, it's a really, really interesting area, that emotive connection. I think, you know, you said a lot of great stuff there. I particularly like, you know, Finley and I have talked about in different domains that you're constructing self and perhaps you're buying self-esteem off the shelf by supporting, engaging, with a winning team, you know, you're doing that. And so there's an individual level and also there's a group level that you're in the winning group. And then you're getting into co-creation and engagement with media and following. Yeah, and correct. So, I mean, suddenly, you know, it's, it's a very complex and it, there are multiple dimensions. Finley and I were watching, not together, but we, we were watching uh, 
was it the last dance Finley? Chicago Bulls, Michael yeah. Jordan, yeah. Nike, and you begin to and celebrity and notoriety and you, and you add all of those things together and suddenly you'll get a very exciting brand. Mm. You know, so I, I, I really um, identify with it. I mean, particularly, I think, you know, some of the things, again, Finley and I were talking about Rory Sutherland, that magic exists in branding. And I think it can, or it has an easier space to exist in, in arts and music and in sport. Yeah, I, th I think and we'll come on to this with, with um, probably I think it's the first choice of song. Yeah, I, I think it is. It is easier, but I, I sometimes think that that in itself encourages laziness from the brand marketeer or from yeah. the organisation a lot of the time. I mean, one of the things I sort of look at is what I call brand attachment. Okay. So you know, there's a lot of organisations, and I've done some work with West Indies cricket, and you know they've had a fairly um, um, sort of up and down time over the past 10, 20 years from being very much global top of their game at a sort of socioeconomic time when they were gaining independence. You know, we saw the, the rise of the likes of Muhammad Ali and these wonderful athletes were coming out of the West Indies and competing at the yeah. highest level of cricket around the world. So they were literally legends in every sense because they, they stood for a time which was about, you know, the future and the potential and, you know, going out and challenging the world. Yeah. Now, what then happened with regards to both the socioeconomic position and then also professionalism of the sport, meaning, you know, those organizations with money for strength and conditioning and training and academies and pathways yeah. meant that they found themselves very much in a position of having to play catch up at a point when they were at the top and they no longer were. Right. Um, it was about originally the, you know, the whole region going forward to out the world as one. It became very inward looking towards money as money came into the game and the IPL yeah. came in into India. And what we saw there is these sort of brand attachments almost came fractured. Right. And, and you know, although there's, there's a lot of studies from sort of um, attachment disorder in children and, and yeah. you know, their yeah. the mothers or fathers and how that can happen early on. And I think that to a certain degree, we see some of that in a brand when it comes so inherently part of your, your sort of um, yourself, as we yeah. said, almost a mirror of your own esteem. So there's some issues there about identifying is there fractured brand attachment? And if so, how do we repair that? How do we build brand apart, uh, attachments? Yeah. Um, and I think that's really, really important if you're looking at longevity and from a yeah. commercial perspective, the lifetime value of a customer. Yeah, I, I really like that. And there's one thing you said that I thought was, was great, you know, that those personas at that time, they, they stand for something that's culturally yes. significant. Yeah. And that's a key part of the architecture. And that's attractive to audience. As is, you know, if, if, if you look at the idea of winning and competing and coming out and talk, you, you mentioned the emotional connect with uh, and buying into a team that's winning or doing well or it's fighting. And I mean, you can look, there are parallels with what, you know, not sports, but sporting goods with Nike, with find your greatness and just do it. But these are emotional connects that resonate. And, and you know, that idea of meaning transfer. So suddenly that brand becomes meaningful. So that team or that sport or that individual, 
it's meaningful. So that is enhancing the equity. So people, like you said, are more occupied and more focused and more concentrated on it. It becomes a bigger part of their life. Yeah. Okay. And also, they, they feel they, well, certainly from a team perspective, you know, it gives them a feeling of belonging. You know, we, we live in a time where, you know, isolation is a very big thing, even with or, or more so because of technology and right. the current climate we're in. To be, to feel part of a collective that you're recognized for wearing the same colors, you yeah. know, for knowing the same songs, you yeah. know, sharing experiences and sort of bonding with other human beings that you've never met purely through a common theme. And that may well be, your participation in a particular sport, or it may be supporting your, your country or your actual team itself. So, you know, you're, you're bringing a whole raft of different emotions in to these things, um, certainly from a sports organization perspective. And, and, and again, we'll, we'll touch on this when we go into some of the songs, you know, from commercial partners, you know, they want to, they want to leverage that, you know, they want to leverage that brand attachments in place, but, yeah. You know, you've got to be careful. That's something that you've built um, more and more. The Gen Zs, Millennials are all about our authenticity, what yeah. we stand for, our principles. So we've got a continual battle between the money and the values. And, you know, if we look at sports like Rugby Union, which has not been professional for very long, yeah. you know, it's really struggled with what it saw as its core values of a sport about integrity. And then the next thing you know, we're looking at, you know, some of the major teams being, you know, docked 60 points and huge yeah. amount because they're not abiding by the rules. We've seen, you know, other instances where, you know, player welfare has been put behind commercial return. So where does that sit with the greater values of the game? So, you know, there's a continual challenge to get it right. And, yeah. you know, and again, um, you know, when we start to look at things like participation versus professionalism in a wider context of a sport, that itself brings its own challenges. So, guys, we've touched on some amazing stuff there. We've been off into psychology, sociology. Um, let's play some music and then we'll, we'll get Archie to introduce the, the first brand and how that connects with this track. So Archie, thanks for that. That was that's uh, I love that. Um, it's 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 an absolute classic. Uh, the Pretenders, brass in pocket. Now, you said right up front. Now this is not an advert for the brand that you're going to tell us. No. About. Not representing it in a kind of very explicit way. It's what makes you think of this brand, and maybe you can kind of unpack what that means to you and the subtleties of it. So firstly, what was the brand under investigation here? Well, the, the brand, along with other brands in this particular area, is, is Hibernian Football Club. I mean, uh, uh, as you know, Finley, being a, a fan of, of Hibs, um, the new owner came in last year and we, I was involved in the transaction of that and we're, we're in difficult times with COVID at the moment, like, uh, like many other organisations. Um, but we've got a real opportunity to look at our brand and our brand proposition. And the, the reason I chose this song is specifically around football clubs and professional teams in general, which is this, you know, I'm special, so special. And it's the, it's the understanding that, you know, they are, of course they are. 
But when I'm a fan of the club, sometimes I struggle with the concept of, well, why would you not pick my club over another club? But if I'm looking at it purely from a commercial perspective and I'm looking at commercial partners, I need to be able to differentiate. Uh, and this is where, again, we, we talked about the sort of the brand attachment and that sort of that strength of bond can sometimes lead to, um, you know, maybe just taking their eye off the ball with the Garcia. Well, what's your proposition to non-fans? And from two fronts, one from, as I say, the commercial, you know, what value am I offering to my commercial partners? But also, I suppose, from, from a growth perspective, you know, how do I extend beyond my existing fan base? How do I attract and create new bonds from, from people rather than just inherently from that same group? Um, so, I mean, one of the challenges we've seen is it's sometimes difficult to have a conversation to say, well, if I've got Team Finlay and Team Ronnie, you know, and I've got X amount to spend and I want to reach a particular audience, why would I choose one over the other? Mm-hmm. Um, now, we're very fortunate in Hibernian, both from its geographical location within Edinburgh and what we can leverage around, you know, mm-hmm. the facilities and the positioning of the city. And that's one thing. The other one is that for some time now, um, the environment has been key to the club. And very recently, the last few months, we actually formalized that by um, entering into the, the UN Sustainability Agreement and I think we're the only second club in the country after Force Green, who are well known as the greenest club in the world. Mm. Uh, and, and we've certainly been proud and, and we look to lead. We don't look to get it always right because it is quite challenging and that's something we're willing to be transparent about. Um, but we are, you know, positioned as the greenest club in Scotland. You know, it's 100% renewable energy sources. We're, I think, third in the UK for a match day recycling which is behind Force Green, as you'd expect at number one, Man United at two and Hibernian at three. Now we've got a long way to go and you've got continuing challenges, you know, as we look at our F&B offering of veggie wear and what comes with actually recycling a veggie wear versus an alternative brand versus. So these are continual questions that either have a, a commercial impact and, and do you pass it on to the fans? Do you swallow that? Do you under, do you share that responsibility if you communicate it properly? But that's a proposition where we're at. And, you know, and we, and we're continually looking to work that proposition for us. Leadership is an important thing. And, and that doesn't mean we're going to be the best. It means we're going to strive to, and we're going to communicate and bring others with us. So we're very early in that journey with regards to the brand. Our community is very strong. We work closely. We have a foundation who does some wonderful stuff across um, the entirety of, of Edinburgh um, from mental health, from you know, people coming in and eating every week. Uh, and they continue to do a wonderful job. I, and I don't mean to play it down, but many other clubs, community foundations do wonderful jobs. And I, th- I think it's great that they continue. But if I'm a club, you know, I've really got to start thinking about what makes me unique. Yeah. Uh, and, and the issue with sport, and a lot of time it's led by the the sort of males in the sort of marketing sphere is that they always jump on what we call the three P's. So we ban the three P's whenever we talk about this sort of branding and and messaging, which is they always talk about passion. Oh, our fans are the most passionate. And you will, you know, Finley's fans are as passionate as your fans. You know, passion, pride, pride. It's all about pride. You know, we're so proud. And I'm sure you are. But Ronnie's as proud and his fans are as proud. 
And the last one is power. It's always a go-to, again, especially for blokes when it comes to these sort of physical sports, you know, passion, pride, and power. So normally you would bring these out fairly early and then ban them and say, right. you know, if we look at our points of, you know, sort of parity, yeah, right. pride, passion, power, but what's our point of differentiation? And of course, what actually is the customer looking for? Right. And we're looking for the little sweet spot, you know, that's a parity, agreed, fine, differentiation, fine, but where's the bit where our points of differentiation that the actual customer is interested in or the corporates are interested in? So, um, a bit of a long way of saying, you know, it, it's great this emotive bond exists, but let's not sit back. Let's look at the clarity in our proposition. Let's look what, what makes us different. You know, while, you know, we are purpose-led with regards to there is a responsibility through the platform that football provides to send out the right message, you know, to raise awareness of key issues in, in this sort of, uh, not just the local community, but wider field as we do from the environmental piece. Um, but, you know, it needs to be continually worked on. And, and I admire the work you're doing there. And I think it's great to, to broaden that a little bit, to take the focus away from just the brand around, you know, uh -huh. the playing arena. And so, yeah, you're looking at the, the, the experience, but, you know, to pick up on that really important um, environmental and sustainability issue, I, I think it's great. And it shows not just sporting brands, but other brands to say, well, look, you know, you can broaden your appeal. And, and I think the best example in that domain just now is BrewDog and what they've just done. Yeah. Yep. Huge campaign around mm -hmm. actually being a carbon negative, you know, planting a forest and making us good, feel good about drinking more beer because we're actually benefiting the planet. And you're right, you know, they're totally standing out from the competition just now. And, you know, and I guess that's, that's kind of what you're talking about. Yeah, very much so. And I, I mean, what we can't forget is that, you know, you have to perform on the pitch with these things, right. you know, that, because by winning on the, on the pitch, that gives you a platform and it's up to you what to do with that platform. And, you know, with that, you know, without being too cliche and I think, um, a little bit of Spider-Man in there with, with great power becomes great responsibility. In this case, you know, with great um, broadcast coverage and media coverage, certainly within the Scottish media landscape, you know, does come responsibility to use it, you know, for the benefit of, of the community. Certainly, that's what we're trying to do at the club. Yeah, it's a lot of great stuff again, a lot of gold in there, Archie. Very much. You know, I'm glad you said that part at the end of the... the the performance in the pitch, you know, it's like back to the uh, Jordan and the Chicago Bulls when they put the team together and as they put the team together, the wins came, as the wins mm -hmm. came, the audience, the tribe get bigger, the sponsorship get bigger, the TV get bigger, the, the, the brand Absolutely. get bigger. The other thing that you mentioned that was great, is, and it does relate to, you know, those kind of things we were talking about earlier of aligning with and echoing with things that are of cultural and individual significance. So, you know, the, the ethics and the climate change and, you know, so you're not only buying self-esteem, you're buying good conscience off the shelf, you know? Yeah. And we've got to be mindful that, and, and, and I have seen brands do this where they say they're doing the right thing, but you've got yeah. to live those principles. You right. know, and that's, and that's, that's a challenge. You know, that doesn't come easy no. um, to actually follow through with those principles. But I think you also need to be authentic, you know, 
when you when you get it wrong or when you you try and it doesn't work because and, and again this is where we certainly feel we want to be a leader in many regards and not just on the pitch you know a, a leader is willing to show where they got it wrong and yeah. take responsibility and obviously you know share success when when you get it right and the and the team at you know at Hibs are doing a great job in many areas especially as I say given how difficult the times are. The other, I agree. The other thing you said was, you know, relates to not necessarily differentiation. That assumes a, a point of, of contrast, but the idea of of, uh, of being singular. Yeah. You know, and I mean, if you look in other domains, you know, I was doing a thing earlier, and you know, related to to movie marketing or movie branding, and I think it was Quentin Tarantino's ninth film. Um, once upon a time in Hollywood, he has a singular voice. You know, it's no Brad Pitt's name or the other guy that's above the title. It's Quentin. And then it cascades into all of those other pieces of brand stuff. So he is singular. So no one makes movies like him. He makes movies and there are lots of people who make movies, but no one makes movies like him. And it's really interesting, I mean, you, you know this area better than me, but when we start to look at decision science and yeah. the risk around a decision, you know, what he's, what he's clear of is this is my proposition, so you know what you're going to get. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, when you go back in time, John Carpenter's the thing. And it's a heuristic. Let's go see that movie. You know, so, I mean, in branding often does that, helps you make the choice. One of the things I was going to ask you is, do you, do you sometimes, when you're looking at a, a sports brand, do you map a, a consumer journey from before the match, when they go to the match, for example, and how, what they do after it, and well, those touch points that you talked about? Yeah, I mean, I don't know which song's next, Finley. Do we have, uh, which, which song have you got next? Well, just when you were talking about the the movies there, I, yeah. I was I was thinking how visual this next track actually is because yeah. we're going to go to Iron Maiden now. Now, he's got an Iron Maiden album. It's like Quentin Tarantino. You know yep. what you're going to get. Yeah. Well, we'll come back to you. We'll come back to that point about the the user journey when we come to the final track, Ronnie. That's a good. Well, a good I'm going to set this up. I've got this queued. Turn it up to eleven. Here's Maiden. So that is the number of the beast, Archie, an absolute classic. It just um, is really so atmospheric, you know, with that intro and so on. Fantastic. Now, how are you going to link that to to a brand? I'm intrigued. Well, I mean, this one's a relatively easy link, and it's a bit of a historic, and it goes back to uh, an Open Championship. Um, In fact, a Scotsman won it, Paul Laurie won it. And, um, and I will be coming on to the Open on the, on the uh, last track. So I'll not go into that in any more detail, but it was played over the course, at, the championship course at Carnoustie. And of course, the, the rough had been grown quite high. There'd be fairways had been kept quite narrow. And Carnoustie is a unique beast. And mm. you'll start to see where we're coming from. Uh, it's a unique beast in the sense of, unlike a, a St Andrews, which has been... Um, kept as genuine as possible to the way it was way back, you know, when they played with their Hickory Cubs and their feathery balls 
Uh, and, and that's very much where it's at. It's the home of golf. It's genuine. This is the way. And it's not really been far removed. A few adjustments over the years. Carnoustie has been re-engineered and re-engineered and re-engineered to ensure that it is the best golfing experience. It's, it's an interesting place. Um, you know, innovation in many areas of golf has been derived at Carnoustie. You know, the course has been designed so all the holes interact with the wind in a certain way. And at that particular open, it was branded as Carnasty. So it was branded as an absolute beast. Now, it's interesting because you can say, well, that's great. You know, it's, it's got this persona, it's a beast, but it's a very enjoyable and it's a, it's a course you can't break with brute force. It's one of, for the thinking person. Um, so it's how we take something that is still globally labeled as a beast, an animal, and how do we position it probably sort of correctly into something that's a case of, of course, it's a challenging. It's arguably the best Lynx golf course in the world. It's going to be challenging, especially when you have the unforgivable wind and weather conditions at any particular month of the year, as you know. But how do you position something that has just been labelled as a beast, an animal? Uh, and, and that's a challenge. And at Carnoustie, one of the things we're looking at is, well, we understand it's the best, you know, it is the best links course for a whole raft of different reasons. And there's many testimonials from great, you know, players of the past and, you know, present pro players to, you know, amateur golfers who are coming and enjoying it as a family. Uh, and it's one of the sort of journeys that we're again, just starting on is to really start to say to yourself, well, what type of person wants to play be challenging, you know, the best course in the world that they know is going to challenge them. And maybe stop focusing so much on that, you know, it's an animal and you go, well, no, it's challenging. And it's challenging for a variety of reasons, but who's that attractive to, you know? And we see it as being attractive to probably the type of person who's relatively successful, whatever that means to them, because they've been quite comfortable putting themselves in positions where they've been out of comfort zone yeah. You know, the Americans come across enough to play a different type of golf. They play shots. And again, the professionals said this, they play shots that they've never even thought of before. Yeah. So that whole environment, you know, who seeks to challenge themselves in that environment? What sort of psycho psychological sort of profile does that person have that they want to travel to, you know, 5,000 miles to one-on-one, -on -one, you know, or be with a group of friends, but at the end of the day, it's them against the course to a certain degree. Um, and come out of it and you know is the score important well of course it will be to them but is the experience where they felt challenged and they've had to think and they've shared that experience with others as we talked about is that more important and we think it is definitely think it is so that's that whole challenge about how do we take a beast and actually say well what are the strengths of this yeah and I mean that's great in the sense that you know you're not actually going to change the course, you're just going to tinker with or play with the perception of how the audience should think and feel about it. Correct. Which is what branding's all about, or one part of what branding's yeah. all about. Uh, I mean, uh, it's great. I mean, it's an interesting place as well, Carnoustie, I mean, from a, from a brand position and the, and the potential. And again, it's, it's authentic because it's based on actual things that happened. Yeah. You know, we talk of the Canoosie 300, where over a period of time, uh, uh, 300 people from within the golf industry left 
And they left and they set up the Australian PGA, they set up the American PGA, they set up and started golf as professionals and caddies and club makers in about a thousand country clubs in the US. Yeah. And they, they, they took sport and said, no, this is the way we should be playing it. Uh, and they didn't want to stand still. They were quite happy to challenge. And it's really interesting, you know, the RNA, um, you know, over the last few years have brought in things like the, the Women in Golf Charter. They've said we need to be looking at, you know, making, reducing the barriers to the sport. We need to be far more inclusive, which is great to hear. Yeah. And to a certain degree, that thinking is very much um, sort of rooted in that mindset that came out of Carnoustie. That, you know, yeah. The last four holes of the most famous links golf course in the world, you know, I'd, I'd say, uh, Carnoustie, yeah. were designed by an accountant who wasn't happy with the golf course architect. Right. You know, it's, it's that willingness to push against the norm to do the right thing. Okay. So, you know, if we start, when we start to look to develop what does Carnoustie stand for, Again, it culminates in this best course in the world and attracting mm -hmm. people to come and challenge the norm. Um, but it's, it's based on the actual underlying sort of thinking around it. Oh, that's great. That's great. A great, great example of positioning or repositioning, yeah. Archie. And now those that are watching on the YouTube channel um, can see that you've got your open polo shirt on. And what, what's interesting for me there is that you've then got Carnoustie, a course, you know, which you're obviously passionate about and, you know, doing great work there. But that becomes a wider offering within, within the Open and the RNA, you, you know, can use Carnoustie within that. You, you know, it wouldn't work every year, would it? No, I mean, it's, I mean, it's an interesting one from a venue perspective. I mean, we look at our, and we'll come to the Open with the final track. You know, it's... Um, arguably the golf, best golf event in the world. And I would certainly argue to that, you know, what it stands for will we'll come on with the other track. But it also inherits certain traits from each venue it goes to uh, and each region it goes to. And I think that's very important as well. I mean, we're over in Northern Ireland and I mean, it was a wonderful open there. And we had, the, you know, the Atlantic coming in and the sun, the rain and the landscape and the people and the, and the, even the F&B, you know, the food and drink offering is slightly different to, to incorporate that. So I think it's a bit like the Olympics, the Commonwealth, whenever these sort of large scale events travel, you know, I think it's important that they, they inherit part of that region. So they allow them to breathe. And I think the Olympics have been very good at doing that. Uh, it's challenging going forward with the cost and the sustainability of these things. Mm -hmm. um, and when we start to look at what does legacy look like and you know what does it actually leave behind i think these are these are challenging times for any major event and, and major destination looking to bid for them yeah. um but i think it's really important that they bring that local regional flavor especially as we've sort of lived through this globalization where everything is now available to you delivered yeah. to your house almost um you know people are almost gone back to we were, we're, we're of that age, we remember going to France and finding this orange that you'd shake in a jar and it had bits in it, and, you know, in, the, in the glass bottle, and it was wonderful, and you only got it in France, you'd never yeah. seen it before, and now you go to your local supermarket or even your corner store, it's in a can. You know, people almost want to go back to those experiential things on a regional basis from food and drinking. We see it with distillers, we see it with craft brewery, uh -huh. we see it with some wonderful, certainly in the food side of things, you know, we see that sort of fresh produce delivering that 
local proposition and reinforcing what it stands for, for sort of identity. I think people are seeking those identities these days. Yeah. I've kind of set that up for you uh, there for the, the third track there, Archie. T tell us what it is. We'll play it and then you can uh, tell us some more about your work there. Well, this is, this is a classic, certainly in my lifetime, and I think maybe in even years to lifetime when it harks back to university days. Uh -huh. um, Guns and Roses and Sweet Child of Mine. Very atmospheric um, indeed. So, so tell us, um, connect that then with your, your final brand. Well, Sweet Child of Mine relates to the Open Golf Championship, or as we would reference it, the Open, nothing else. The, the Open. Um, I, um, I, I worked from the Open all the way through my youth. Yeah. Um, so to a certain degree, you know, there is a, a very strong emotive bond for it. You know, that child of mine, you certainly have a bit of that feeling to it. Mm -hmm. I was also fortunate to have worked on the rebrand of the Open, and we looked at whole brand strategy um, about five years ago now, in fact, it was, it was a year we launched here. And we looked at everything from the, the, a new mark, you know, a new identity, um, creation of its own font, um, the music that went with it. We looked at you know, the treatment of imagery. And it was very much about um, you know, consolidating, and I say standardizing, not in a sort of clinical way, but ensuring that everything was done to the same level and colors yeah. and fonts and yeah. messaging. And then really it was a case of saying, well, we need to look at what can we own? What is, what is the open? And you'll see they certainly used to do it historically, but a lot more now, you know, this year it would have been the 149th, um, which will now be next year. Um, the following year will be the 150th playing of the open. And the reason we've got it everywhere, it's 149th, 150th, nobody else can have that. Nobody else will be the 149th. It's the oldest, it's the first. Yeah. You know, they even wrote it in their book in 1861, it shall be open to all the world. Yeah. Um, so it stands unique. And if you're to sort of go, how do we go bang, let the world know, you go, by the way, it's our 150th coming up. Yeah. You know, there's just ownership around that and owning it. And the Open is an, it's an interesting event. Um, you know, as you know, it's played over four days and it's, it's very much like life. It's very unfair. You know, you could go in the morning, there'd be no wind and bright sunshine and I could go in the afternoon, it could be torrential rain uh -huh. and gale force winds. And that's just the way it is. You have to suck it up. You have to get on with it. You know, having to play consistently over those four days, the pressures of being in the lead or not making, close to not making the cut on the Friday. Uh -huh. Okay. And, and again, the team there have done a great job of taking that brand work and evolving it. And, you know, brand to me is, and you probably are, are, are again, are very aware of this, it's a very overused word. Uh -huh. And not many people really understand, you know, brand for them usually means a mark, you know, a logo. That's, that's brand. You know, for me, brand is, is akin to culture. Yeah. You know, it's learned. And every day you need to just tap it to keep it in line. You know, you need to give, you know, you give clarity to your brand corporate guidelines. But again, it's more about the softer, you know, what are we standing for? How do we convey that? How do we act as people would expect our brand to act? And as part uh -huh. of the brand strategy, you know, the volunteers that do a wonderful job and there's, you know, there's a lot of them come in from local golf courses, you know, they were brought in and they were not, they were given an insight to the sort of expectation that 
people would have of the Open as a brand mm -hmm. and how they were expected to represent that brand. And again, you know, the responsibility that was upon them to act in a way that people would expect that brand to act. And yeah. it's important to be upfront so you attract people who can relate to that. You, yeah. you attract people who are genuinely enthusiastic and therefore are authentic in delivering your brand. And that's a challenge with these large events. And you see these volunteer programs and, you know, they open, you know, pales in, in significance, something like the Commonwealth, the Olympic Games, where you have mm -hmm. tens of thousands of volunteers. And they do a wonderful job of engendering that whole, this is why we're here. This is collectively what we're looking to deliver. But yeah. this is how we operationalize it on a day-to-day -day if you're facing this circumstance. Mm -hmm. And I think people forget that brand is never finished. It's a yeah. continual you know, changing the sale, putting the wind, making sure we're delivering what we a, want to deliver and we are measuring which are, are we being perceived. And your brand perception is reality. And there's no middle ground. If somebody believes you're something and that's how they feel about you, that is how you are to them. You can't deny it. You, all you can do is try and shape or, or change that perception. But, you know, perception is reality when it comes to brand. Yeah. There's a lot of great stuff in there again, Archie, the heritage, the history. Obviously, no one else has that. I really liked what you're saying about the volunteers and the interface, the human element. I was looking at Lego. I'm in Denmark just now, and just up the road, there's the Lego house, and uh, there was a an opening event a few years ago, but they were very thorough in terms of who they wanted to interact with the, the visitors. Because as you're rightly saying, that's the brand in that moment, you know, and that interaction. I mean, it's like going to the Hilton. I remember going to Hilton and you get the brand heritage, the history, and it looks good and you get there and you, you go in and it's improved, but there was the, the service level was appalling on this particular visit. And it was in Edinburgh, actually. And so it all falls down. The perception is malleable. It can move, it can shift, and it's vulnerable. If you don't, you know, that thing you were saying, there's so many moving parts, the, the sound of the brand, the look of the brand, all of those things have to be integrated and be pushing the same value proposition, yeah. you know, so that the, the perception is consistent because as soon as you have fuzzy or you become discontent or, oh, the open is great and the drama is wonderful, but the staff were very rude. Suddenly my experience is, is not so good. And suddenly the brand promise uh, is not the brand reality. And suddenly, I'm, you know, eh, it wasn't as good as it was the last time. Maybe I'll do something else next year. You know, so I think lots of lots of great stuff there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's that it's that sticking by your principles and actually following through. I mean, I think there was a, a and I, again, you guys, especially Ronnie, are lecturing on this, so you'll know. I think it was Johnson and Johnson quite a few years ago in the states. Yeah. You know, they have their whole sort of their proposition, what they stand for about, you know, making nurses and doctors and health professionals, yeah. you know, lives easier and better. And there'd been some problem with one of the drugs, I think that they'd purchased. Right. And anyway, you know, the government said they had to shell out, you know, whatever it was, you know, $50 million. And yeah. they took a decision and they didn't have to, and they took a decision to shell out something like 250 million to right. 
to yeah. compensate and they apologized and said, yeah. we did not live up to our standards. But what they actually saw was, instead of that particular brand falling off because there'd been a distrust, because there'd yeah. been issues with it, they actually saw an uplift. Yeah. Because they'd stood by and said, this didn't actually reflect properly what we are looking to deliver. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, as I say, we have, a, we have a group of principal youngsters coming into the workplace now. Yeah. And, they, and they have got, if they have skills, they're in global demand and they can work more and more remotely as COVID has only accelerated that. Yeah. They will choose organizations that they believe are honestly a principled and delivering the values that they can relate to. Um, and, and I think that the role of the organization as a, as a corporate and sporting organizations are just gonna to continue to grow in society and, and they're gonna play, a, am hoping a very positive role in, in shaping those cultures of those organizations and, and shaping the offering that they take to the market. Yeah, yeah. And that's uh, a great summary, I think, of brand yeah. and Let's hope that more people start to understand that very broad, the holistic view that you've given us, yeah. Archie. And I think you're right. I think this generation that's entering the, the workplace now does yeah. almost intuitively just, just get that. So, listen, it's been really great talking to you. Um, thanks for bringing those tracks. We, we love those. And, um, you know, personal thanks from, from Ronnie and I, because it's dragged us out of the 1970s and brought us... Hey, in the 1980s there, so that's what that was the result. We'll look forward to, to talking to you again soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Absolutely. Lovely to see you guys. Oh, you too, man. Good. We live in a branded universe. You've been listening to the soundtrack of our lives and your life. Life in the Brand Lane. For information on future episodes, visit fresh.biz or find us on soundcloud.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>